We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Grant Faulkner, Executive Director of NaNoWriMo. He talks with me about how writing a novel in a month is a great metaphor for being a productive leader and artist. NaNoWriMo is a 501c3 nonprofit that provides tools, structure, community, and encouragement to help people find their voices, achieve the creative goals, and build new worlds on and off the page. Their claim to fame is in their namesake, National Novel Writing Month, which happens every November. I personally have done NaNoWriMo twice, once for a yet unpublished novel and once for the memoir I'm working on right now. Writing a novel is a lot like any other kind of project where you'll have a crisis of confidence in what you're working on. We all have the shiny new object syndrome when that happens, and Grant gives us some advice on how to handle that along with insights on how to jumpstart your creativity. I interviewed Grant at the 2020 San Francisco Writers Conference at the Hyatt Regency in downtown San Francisco. I'd like to thank them for letting me crash a conference room. They are some great people. You'll hear why during the interview. You might hear some background noise and me fumbling a bit with the microphone, so apologize ahead of time for that. Now, let's get better together. All right, I'm here, here with are. Grant Faulkner. That's how I say that right, right? Grant Faulkner? Faulkner, Faulkner. Yep. Grant. Like yep. the uh, famous author. The Faulkner part. The Faulkner yeah. part. Well, <laughs> well, no, you're a famous <laughs> author. I mean, you're a famous author to me. Yeah. I mean, you're the... So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and... Yeah. I am most known for being executive director of National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. uh, known to many as NaNoWriMo, and it is the largest writing event, maybe the largest writing community in the world. Each year, about 500,000 people from around the world sign up to write 50,000 500,000 people. Yep. Wow. 200 countries. We've had people write on all seven continents. Wow. Not every year, but we have had people write from Antarctica. Which Antarctica. Is impressive. That is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, we've had people write during the Iraq War. 
Um, it's amazing. You know, I think, I think people have a deep need to tell their story, and they will tell their story in the most unlikeliest of places and situations sometimes. And that's what we help people do is overcome obstacles, ignite them. Oops, sorry. <laughs> there we go. We dropped it. Uh, we, we're, we're actually at the San Francisco Writers Conference. So I had to kind of yeah. corral him. So yeah. So we ignite. We help people. We ignite their creative potential. We help them get over uh, their creative obstacles. And the writing the fifty thousand words a month. Really, the premise behind that is is that a goal and a deadline is a creative midwife, and that too many people say they want to write a novel someday, but someday tends not to happen. You got to yeah. do it today. And also do it very intentionally, you know, today and make creativity a priority. And I think one of the gifts of NaNoWriMo is that when many people become adults, creativity falls lower and lower on their to-do list. Yeah. And NaNoWriMo helps them make book creativity, number one, on their list for only a month, you know. But that one month, you know, it's, I think it's a very efficient way to write a novel. Because then you, at the end of the month, you have 50,000 words mm-hmm. and you can spend the rest of the year refining it yeah i mean i've i've done it twice i mean that's the reason why we kind of know each other and uh i thought what well and the reason why i wanted to talk with you on the podcast is because um writing fifty thousand words in a month takes a daily commitment yeah that is hard to do i know from firsthand experience so what are some of the things that people do and even you do and we can kind of split it up like you know what do you do on a daily basis i know you're also a writer you've Mm -hmm. published a bunch of books um what is it on the daily basis that kind of makes you get towards those goals because i mean that's an important thing to think about because fifty thousand words in any goal like anything that's big thing is Mm -hmm. like boy if yeah. you just looked at it, and it's like this is scary. <laughs> yeah, it's totally it. scary. It's yeah. it's easy to say write fifty thousand words a day, and that's one thousand six hundred sixty seven words a day. Yeah, uh, that takes me about two to three hours a day. Wow. And I think that's the thing. The thing when I see people not succeed at NaNoWriMo, I think they come in cold, uh, meaning that it's not that they haven't planned their novel. It's more that they haven't planned how they're going to fit writing in. Right. You know, because two or three hours is a pretty big commitment to do it. And so most people, if you're busy, uh, you have to find a window for that. And so I always tell people to do like time management exercises before. Okay. And so to really like, I call it like a time hunt. Hmm. So take a week out of your life in September, October, if you're planning to do NaNoWriMo and detail how you use time. And yeah, just so everyone knows, NaNoWriMo happens in November. November, you're right. <laughs> I sometimes leave that out. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of entrepreneurial podcast with, you know, yeah. trying to be do the bigger, better deal and stuff. So you got to promote. Promote. You know, nonprofits sometimes have a problem with that. <laughs> Sign up in September and October. Do it in November. Right. And in September and October, start thinking about how do you open up two to three hours a day yeah. for 30 days. And so that's like... You know, detailing how much time you spend on social media. They're great apps that track this for you, or you can just keep your own log. Yeah. Um, think about, you know, are you a morning writer? Are you an evening writer? Are you a marathon writer, meaning that you, like, write most of your words on the weekend? Mm-hmm. Um, so people t- take a lot of different approaches to, to make, make this work for them. I happen to, to wake up really early in the morning, and if I didn't wake up early and write for two hours, you know, before my kids get up, I would not be able to do it because I'm not an evening writer. Right. So I have to prioritize getting up early. And and then I also have to find other times to write. So it might be like sacrificing, might be writing on your lunch break mm-hmm. or or not watching, not binge watching that Netflix show. You know, like you have to, to make something successful, you have to give up something, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of blue-collar work. Yeah, I mean, totally. it's just sitting down and, and typing and doing what you got to do. And, I mean, I yeah. think that's part of the entrepreneurial thing, too, is there's a lot of daunting things when you're an entrepreneur, like getting the product done, product market fit, you know, making sure people get the word out, and that's an everyday kind of grind. Definitely. And, and it's how do you make the time to be efficient and how do you not get distracted? So mm-hmm. what, what are some of the other kind of exercises daily kind of what you call time hunts yeah that's a pretty good one i like that (laughs) yeah time hunt i think to know how you use time and to open up windows of time or to find time confetti i like this concept of time confetti okay yeah this comes i forget who this comes from actually but um it's about the the small moments in your life so a lot of times people um they wait until they they're retired or they have this beautiful expanse of time to write a novel right so we're already writing the novel in November, but sometimes people think they need to have that two or three hour big chunk of time. But sometimes it's about like identifying the small blocks of time. So 15 minutes here and there, you know, writing during your lunch break. Toni Morrison wrote her first novel. She was a single mom with two kids. She wrote it in the 15 minutes she had, the only 15 minutes she had before going to bed. Yeah. Not her best creative time, right. but it was time. And so she yeah. built that first novel in 15 minute increments of time. Yeah. And so like, you know, you don't, don't wait for your best time to work necessarily. Right. Just do it, you know, and, right. and, and you, you will, I mean, I think, I think this is like a law for everything. Trust in building big things through small daily actions. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, that's what we're trying to get at here with the pod. Yeah. I mean, I write a lot about entrepreneurship and, you know, just all the aspects of that and, you know, the entrepreneur ethos, the book mm-hmm. I wrote as well. I didn't do that during NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote a novel and then the memoir, the first draft of my memoir, but, yeah. um, the discipline of being very conscious of finding that time confetti, which I really love mm-hmm. that term because a lot of times people get like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm just crushing it. But then they get distracted off yeah. all of the wastes of time. So so what are, what are, you know, for your daily, you know, running your nonprofit, mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do you find, what, what do you do? Because that's a different kind of thing. I mean, totally writing can be a very solitary thing. Mm-hmm. I know the platform that you guys have makes it more social, and you can be in your little cabins, and yeah. which I've been in a couple times. Um, but just what's the day-to-day, like, making a nonprofit successful? Yeah. I think when you're talking about, like, and relating it to, to principles of NaNoWriMo, um, it's so easy. I find the modern workplace so fascinating because it's essentially like a battleground of distractions. Yeah, <laughs> and, totally. And I think most of us are going through this. We're trying to figure out how do you be productive during the day when you're when you're dealing with like. I mean, my job actually requires me to look at social media platforms. You know, yeah. have to look at email, have to look at social media platforms, have to look at Slack. You know, and then have to have meetings, have to prepare for meetings, have to schedule meetings. Yeah. You know, so so and and all that then leaves a bunch of work that needs to get done. Yeah. You know, and I think, I, I don't know, I'm constantly challenged by it, but, you know, I, I think it is like that kind of goal deadline, you know, like goal deadline it doesn't have to be a whole month, but two hours on a Wednesday morning, you know, like if I'm going to write, uh, work on our strategic plan, I have to like do that in certain chunks, you know, and I have to right. look like what, what is possible within this limited, this scarcity of time that we all deal with. Uh, and it's, it's challenging because everything's a choice, yeah. you know, and I have big dreams I can make a big long list of really wonderful things I want to do for the nonprofit, and I could probably give you a list of 25 things, you know, in the next 10 minutes, and 
I might only be able to do five of those things, you know. And so it's it's that calibration for me of, of trying to always figure out what's what what what's, what gives us the most impact, what's the most important thing. Um, and unfortunately, on that list, like there's a bunch of things that I would that would be super fun and that would just motivate me to no end. Yep. But they might not have the biggest impact. They might not do the best for the people we serve or the staff, you know. Yeah. So so are you kind of constantly trying to prioritize that list or constantly. trying not to be distracted? Totally. And it's like distracted by big things and small things. You know, when I was talking about, of course, the daily grind is a lot of small things. But the big things, I mean, we could we could do... We could do so many big things with NaNoWriMo, grow in so many different directions. And it it is like writing a novel in the sense that if you work on a novel, it takes years and years usually Mm -hmm. to work on it. And you you reach many points during that where you just stop believing in the novel. You don't think it's worth anything. You question your original idea. You question yourself as a writer. Um, And and your new novel ideas always look better. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the new shiny thing. (laughs) The new shiny thing. Entrepreneurs are like that, too. Yeah. So so my whole list of novels that I want to write look way better than the novel I'm writing now. Right. But I also know that I will reach that point of um, that, that crisis of confidence with those new novels ideas as well. And that really you have to see something through, you know, to the end and commit to it to see what its possibilities are. And so when I look at the 10 things that I would like NaNoWriMo to do, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't write 10 novels right now. Right. I can only write one. And so I really have to pick out that one, maybe two or three things, depending on what they are, that we focus on. And, and so... It's it's tough though because you also you know some some of these things you actually just need to try and see see what what um, if there's an appetite for it you know so yeah. I think it, so I think it's constantly this balancing act of trying some things uh, sometimes even just for the sake of trying just keep fresh uh, but also committing to things and making sure you're seeing things through to the end and I would say as with a writer you know, my biggest challenge as a writer is scarcity of time. And my biggest challenge in, in, with NaNoWriMo is scarcity of resources, right. you know, which translates into scarcity of time. Yeah. And so it's all about navigating scarcity but trying to do it smartly. So, so in your personal life on a daily basis for the writing thing, you mean you get up early and that's your kind of disciplined writing time? Yeah, that's my disciplined writing time. But, you know, I got a job. I got kids. Uh, I've got uh, an elderly mom to take care of. i got to exercise, you know, things like that. So the day gets it, I, that, if I don't wake up at four in the morning, I, I don't have those two hours. Wow! Um, so you're up at four in the morning. I'm open at four. Yeah, in I mean the you're you're up before Jocko. Jocko's yeah. up at four thirty. Okay. Sometimes I'm four thirty. Sometimes I'm five. Just so people think, yeah, <laughs> getting after. Yeah, it. yeah. And sometimes I don't make it, but most of the time I do. Wow. Um, wow. But yeah, if I didn't, you know, but but I I dream of more time. You know, yeah. I, I mean, when I have to shut down the computer at six, it feels like way too early. Yeah. And I turn down. I, Turn off my computer at six, answer personal email from six to six thirty, which is usually what I call the business of life. You know, yeah. Dealing with all those school emails, soccer team emails, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I got to walk the dog, take the kids to school, start the work day. Yeah. You know, and it's pretty much gone after that. So, um, huh. so I think like it, it's, but but you know, just riffing on this like kind of like how to use time in the best way. I think like as a writer, it's also I mean, sometimes we do need a big chunk of time. And so I haven't done a great job of doing that, but but I have done a few of what I call like these mini retreats, okay. where I'll, I'll go two or three hours away from my home, I'll rent a hotel, you know, oh. stay there for three or four days, and it'll be like total power writing. Like wow. don't 
you know, I'll, I'll do 12 hours of writing in a day. And, wow. and, and maybe go out and see a movie at night because you need to refresh yourself. Right. But, but the goal would be just to maximize, uh, you know, just really lift the project to another level. So it's like a mini NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, – they, they do this in the startup world, and, boy, it totally escapes me, but it's basically a hackathon. Yeah, hackathon. yeah. Probably very similar. Very similar where it's yeah. a whole weekend. They don't – they literally no one sleeps, and they yeah. build an app or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and in, in even when you guys used to do Night of Writing Dangerously, which was this really cool event where you got to eat, and then everyone was writing. Yeah. And I've never been at an event where it's like, Wow. There's no one talking. Yeah. It's quiet, and you hear the typing of a typewriter. <laughs> it, it took me a while. When I first, uh, my first night of writing Dangerously, it took me a while to realize what it was all about. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, party, drinks, yeah. food, people yeah. dressed up. <laughs> and everyone's writing. I yeah. mean, they're, it, it's just so fascinating because that, that sort of model, and you see this not only in writing, uh, but in the entrepreneur world, especially, you know, these... Um, uh, hackathon type things yeah. um, really kind of focus the mind, and, yeah. and I think in some cases it's good to get away from that distraction. Totally, and it's a good way to get a project lift off. For me, I did it for a revision, you know, just mm. to, and, and it does it just jumps, you know, you, you instead of taking a lot of little steps, you take a big jump, and that yeah. feels good sometimes, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Wow. Okay. And and so, do, is there any kind of thing that you do on a daily basis with your staff to kind of help them be more productive and i mean and their people are different right i'm mm-hmm. not gonna you know there's some you know people are like oh we do these stand-up meetings or we do sprints like these sprint yeah. things or you know okay we're gonna get this code done in a week yeah we've done a design when we started our uh web redesign project we did do a design sprint you know mm-hmm. so it was a one-day sprint with some of our board members leading it uh, that was good. So we, we, we do do exercises like that. Um, we'll do, I mean, I have a very, for, one thing I'm lucky about, I have a, a very creative, imaginative staff, and they're really good at brainstorming and coming up with yeah. ideas. And so I, I, we, we do a lot of, like, you know, like, like when, we do a, when we make a fundraising plan for the year, you know, yeah. we, just, we did a whole staff uh, brainstorming exercise. And we did this exercise that I really like because sometimes people – um, feel like they can't voice their opinions or they have a hard time speaking in public yeah. or they're, they're, some people are louder. And so um, I forget the name of it, but essentially like everybody puts in their ideas anonymously. Oh. And so it actually relieves pressure too, the performance pressure. And so... Yeah, I think the Dallow guy, that the principles, the author of Principles, his book, he's a very famous hedge fund guy, I think. Okay. I don't remember his first name, but he, yeah. he built these tools that his team could vote on ideas anonymously and they have yeah. a board it's all electronic and they would like the the thing would bubble up for the right one because he was worried about that same thing yeah ray dallow ray dallow he well, was worried about oh group think group well group think or oh the boss likes that idea oh right. i should probably say i like it too yeah when it's oh that's a stupid idea yeah <laughs> but i can't tell the boss it's, that he's an idiot <laughs> it's fascinating all those things that influence the end product you know oh, yeah or, or even like what what I'm talking about, the initial point is just people getting their ideas out yeah. and on the table. So, yeah, all those things. So I love that, anonymous. I mean, we actually don't anonymously rate them like that, but yeah. that might be good, too. Because uh, what we do is we get the ideas, and they're all anonymous, and then we all 
jump in and riff on them yeah. with the, a yes and approach, you know, like yeah. an improv actor. Yeah. If you don't know about improv theater, like the basic principles, you get up on stage and no matter what Jari does, I have to receive it and build on it. Yeah. I, can't, I can't say that's stupid or try to yeah. try to, to go my way. Yeah. So it's this great kind of collaborative principle, I think, that works with the yes and NaNoWriMo writing, but it also works in the, in the workplace, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, anytime you have a creative endeavor... I mean, there's going to be opinions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion. <laughs> and, it's, and it's easy to get in the no-but mode. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. You know, and so I think, yeah. like, like we as a staff um, try to start very expansively, mm-hmm. knowing that we're going to narrow things down yeah. later. And that whole, you know, of course, no no idea is a bad idea kind of yeah. approach, too. Well, I like the yes and as opposed to the yes but. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a it's just a more collaborative, I mean, you know, because... I mean, creativity's hard. Business is hard. Running a nonprofit's hard. I mean, anytime you got to get money from people for some effort, I mean, yeah. who knows what's going to work? I mean, anyone that says that they have like the foolproof plan, yeah, I don't. I don't. I do not. Well, and sometimes like it's not about. <laughs> I don't the, agree on that. Sometimes the yes and takes the idea and just takes it to a totally different spot too. Yeah, to a totally different place. Yeah. So I think just trusting in that. And it's it's also just validating Bill's teamwork too. You, you you put an idea out there, and you hear other people embrace it and to try to take it further. You know, I mean, the, the best atmosphere is when no one knows who where the idea originated. Yeah, right. I mean, that's when it's really working. Yeah, because um, I th- I think uh, you know everyone wants credit, everyone wants love. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting when you br- I forget the name of the guy you brought up the hedge fund manager Ray Dallow yeah. but it's interesting how yeah one person in the room can affect the whole ecosystem the whole all yeah. the ideas and so as a, a leader sometimes your best it's it's tough to do but being in the more invisible like I know um, Tom Kelly I think it's Tom Kelly one of the Kelly brothers who's, who started IDEO mm-hmm. he, he always makes sure that he's the last person in the room to speak you know yeah. because if he's the first that's that sets the tempo. I think everything. I think Ray Dallow figured that out yeah. too because see one one of his like his if you read the principles and it's like yeah. part memoir part like this is what I've learned he's probably the most successful fund hedge fund manager okay. on the planet or one of them yeah or, or some metric that he's just like but he is very like analytical yeah systematic and he's building all of these tools to just make better decisions because yeah. he knows by I mean he, he even lays it all out the yeah. bias and people the group think and 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 you know uh, he's have to read that got i don't know how many billions of dollars under management and yeah. nobody cares yeah. if it's a good idea it just has to make money right, and right. so he his metric is pretty straightforward it's right. like how are we going to make more money yeah and not you know not lose it for our our customers and so yeah. It is insightful. I mean, you know, it's not the most literary book, I would say. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of folks um, in the entrepreneur world really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's a peek into almost the meritocracy of ideas, yeah. which is so hard to do because, again, like if you're the boss. <laughs> it's super hard, and you know, super hard in terms of like, yeah, just that name, you know, leader, boss, whatever. Mm-hmm. Those give people connotations or prescriptions on how to behave. And so it's really hard to, to take a more secondary role, yeah. you know, or know how to do that and still be the boss kind of thing. And I think this is like a real kind of existential dilemma that most workplaces are dealing with is that we've created a, a less authoritarian and hierarchical structure, even though that hierarchical structure still exists in terms of oh. like titles and pay. I mean, it's 
it's ridiculous to think you can get rid of hierarchy. You can't get rid of hierarchy, but at the same time, we're becoming more collaborative and flat yeah. in our expectations and the yeah. way we do things. Yeah. And so there's a tension there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I talk the people I talk to, whether they're nonprofit or for profit, people are really struggling with this, yeah. you know. And especially like um, younger generations coming up, they've they like when I went to school. It was more that hierarchical authoritarian structure, right? Yeah. Prof- professor lectured. I took notes. I yeah. tried to please the professor. Nowadays, kids are taught more in a collaborative structure where they do group projects yeah. and and whatever. So I think there's a whole different style of doing things. And so partly, I think there's a generational tension, but also it's a process tension, you know. Yeah. So so I have to learn and and think about how how do I be boss and leader and also support this collaborative you know yeah and 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 i'm not saying that collaboration doesn't work and i'm not saying that you know that hierarchies are good right or no i didn't think you were you know and and but but you make a good point um especially with the next generation coming up i'm we're the same age so we had the same kind of (laughs) experience but what, what i've found when it comes to collaboration and you know generating good ideas um Ultimately, someone has to make a decision, even as the team makes a decision. Right. Someone has to focalize that right. and ultimately be responsible. Because if right. no one's responsible, right. then the the blame or the success or whatever gets so diffused that no one's making decisions. Because right. the problem you, you run into is, yeah, there's so many good ideas, and you know we, we want to pull everyone's you know um, great ideas, and we want to make it all work. But ultimately, someone's got to curate the process to be like, yeah. Going this way, it, it's not ideal, but it's never ideal, right? Yeah. You'll never get anything done if it's so like, right. you know, whim on the whim. I mean, that's the reason why, you know, I'm more of a planner than a pantser when it comes yeah. to writing. And I know I'm sure there's people that'll be like, you know, <laughs> that's the wrong way to go. But it's more a question of, yeah, I mean, and it, it's a major source of tension, in it's the tough. workplace, I mean, I asked you know since since uh, tech startups are um, you know, kind of leading this new work culture in a lot of ways, yeah. and there are a lot of products that support that, like Slack and Trello and stuff like that. But I asked somebody who worked uh, at a tech startup recently how they make decisions when they really emphasize this collaborative style, and he he basically said, well, it's the it's the person who is willing to go to the last email and write that last long email that no one will reply to. Not not a good uh, no. process. No. <laughs> so yeah, so I think you no. need to, like what you're saying, Jari, is like you have to to identify who's the decision maker or how is this decision getting made. And I recently read this article that was um, about Eisenhower and Kennedy, but they were dealing with the same thing. Yeah. So so the Bay of Pigs, I don't know my history that well, but the Bay of Pigs was planned. Eisenhower planned it. Yep. And it fell to Kennedy. Yep. And um, Kennedy was a young president and anyway failed. Yeah. And so Eisenhower and Kennedy talked afterwards and Eisenhower and they didn't they they didn't really get along. Nope. Um, did not. But Eisenhower asked Kennedy, how did you make this decision? You know, and I, I forget exactly what Kennedy did, but Eisenhower was like, I think it was kind of this big amorphous brainstorming yeah. model. And so Eisenhower was like, you want to get ideas from your staff, yeah. but you got to go in there and you got to tell them, this is an idea session. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sit and listen to all your ideas, and then I'm going to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think, like, the point of that article was about clarity, you know. And so yeah. when you have a meeting, like, 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 let people know is this a brainstorm meeting and if we're going to make a decision out of this brainstorming who's making it and when yeah. and stuff like that which I think you're talking about yeah yeah I mean ultimately someone's got to be responsible mm-hmm. and and even though all 
ideas are good, and I, I truly believe that. Um, sometimes you just got to got to put a stake in the ground and go. Because yeah. if you don't, you're just going to completely second-guess yourself. And, I mean, the whole Bay of Pigs thing, from a historical point of view, I mean, just not – it was, yeah – death by a thousand cuts because mm-hmm. no one could coordinate it and then they didn't want to have this sort of political and you know who's really in charge and once that happens especially when it comes to life and death i mean creative things and companies like yeah no one's shooting at us who cares right i mean you'll fail but like it's not the end of the world right but when it comes to life and death someone's got to be in charge yeah because ultimately and you want that person that's in charge to not to be as close to the reality of the world as you can humanly be because the problems speakers in here already oh we're doing a little podcast yeah Yeah. (laughs) this is what happens when you do it live folks (laughs) thank you for the interruption that was larissa yeah and uh jari and i do look a little uh suspect yeah we do we're we're in this conference room there's there's actually no one around but we're just about a hundred chairs hundred chairs yeah yeah. we we could do a session here at the the san francisco writers conference people might just start streaming in yeah you never know i mean (laughs) you know it's interesting that writers and entrepreneurs have the same problems exactly the same problems they do these are universal truths i do not view them as just in some ways i don't like these things get cordoned off in like the business section yeah versus the whatever the book section yeah because uh, i think yeah it, it all blends together for me yeah i mean joanna penn who we both yeah. know who's who's just a wonderful wonderful por- person and a real source of knowledge on this whole uh, authorpreneur mindset and i mean she's 100 percent right on <laughs> there's no she doubt is. in my mind it's like yeah i mean you, half the battle is writing a book. The other half is promoting the thing, just Especially like in a business. Days. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's so much out there. Yeah, authors have to be. Um, they have to do everything. Really, they have to. I mean, you. I, I call it the creative journey. You know, yeah. you you write the book, and that's just one part of the creative journey. You know, then it comes to like, uh, and whether you're traditionally published or self-published, you got to think about the cover design. You got to mm-hmm. think about. Um, your own marketing, what you're capable of. You got to think about whether you're going to hire a publicist. Increasingly, if you're on the traditional publishing side too, a lot of a lot of people get published by the big houses. They hire their own publicist yeah. because the big houses they might not give you much time with their publicists. You know, and so my you, guess is they won't. Yeah, they won't. You get a very no matter what you get a limited amount of time. Like yeah. most people get two to three months of action with their publicist, and then unless their book is really sold a lot, they will get unless nothing. you're Dan Brown or Stephen King, exactly. you know, they or get J.K. A, Rowling. They get a full year round. Th- th- those are publicists. those are the unicorns of the book world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most most people are hustling. Yeah, all hard, the time, hard. hustling hard. And if they're not hustling hard, they don't know that they should be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's the author entrepreneurial. And people get really creative about how they how they sell. What's their this? Please do. <laughs> Oh, okay. We Thank now you have, so much. We now have a enter quietly, is, please. Recording in progress. Song. There is there is generosity <laughs> and kindness in the world, folks. Yes, uh, a volunteer came in to uh, give us a sign that we're, <laughs> our recording is in process. Unasked for. Unasked for. And I that's part it. of marketing. Yeah. Trust people. Trust their goodness. Yes. Uh, if you put goodness in the world, it will usually be reciprocated. Yeah, I mean, especially with your team and you know giving people the benefit of the doubt and Mm -hmm. i mean especially the creative process is just such a i mean who you're you know you're creating something from nothing you got to get it you know the status quo does not want your thing to exist they like fight it tooth and nail right Mm -hmm. and i think that's a great you know one of the reasons i wanted to kind of 
understand what people do every day to be yeah. successful because in, in my mind I always think it's like it's the daily things that make the success it's totally. not like I mean you get lucky and that's great but in order to get lucky you have to have the opportunity and the skill set to take advantage of the luck and that's yeah. every day I'm doing something every day you know? what's, what's the saying you got to be prepared for luck like we, yeah or pre- when, when luck happens you got to be prepared to right whatever yeah I, you know when you talk about the everyday stuff I think uh, I talked a lot about stuff like time management but um when I, I did a, a podcast way, way, way back, or a webcast years ago with the author Hugh Howey, who, if you don't know Hugh Howey, he was one of the very early, huge self-publishing success stories. And now he's gone on to sell millions of copies to his book with, for, with his books, and he's been picked up by major publishers, all that. But, what, but what, every time I asked him a question, whether it was about writing, marketing, any aspect of it, he, he would somehow... He was. I, I just noticed he was always referring to self-confidence, putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's really the key on a daily level. Yeah. You know, it's just like you've got to renew your your commitment. You've got to you've got to somehow have confidence in yourself as a writer in your story. Yeah. Um, and that goes to mark. You cannot market something if you're not confident about it. Um, it's True. really hard to put yourself out there. You cannot write a novel actually if you're not confident about it, or or you'll yeah. you'll you won't write a good novel. And I've talked to to, to writers who are celebrated writers and best-selling writers and they've they've told me i've heard these stories about something they wrote mid-career you know that they just weren't into they weren't confident about and it yeah. didn't go well no. you know so it's just something to think about like to I, I think you have to question whether you're confident and then if you're not think about ways to either be confident or move on yeah i mean that's the same thing when it comes to uh you know your company and your uh what you're trying to do with your product if you don't believe uh, in what you're doing it's, yeah. it's never going to go anywhere yeah. and then you know there is some times where people won't follow you either people won't follow you no they, they can sense it yeah they can sense exactly. it and it's a, it's a hard it's a hard slog because sometimes you, you actually may not you may be pretty low is it so, so when you do kind of hit that low like like a day a week or whatever is there just a kind of is there a something that you do to kind of like reset to get back that mm-hmm. momentum or is it more like i just gotta you know figure out the process or how, how does that work for you yeah that's a good question i, th- I think i think I, I think of something that there's something beyond the individual project i'm working on hmm. so i can go all in on a novel and if it never gets published, if no one ever reads it, or if it gets published and people hate it, like on some ways that doesn't matter because I'm doing my best and I'm telling the story that I believe in. And so that larger life as a writer and that larger life of being creative is what's important, you know. And that's that gives me something that's more important than the individual success mm-hmm. of a book. Mm-hmm. And so I think like somehow believing in that i mean it becomes almost religious really i mean writing creativity creativity is my religion um, seems that way yeah. Yeah. can be <laughs> i feel that sometimes too yeah i mean when i don't write in the mornings i'm crankier during yeah. the day i'm I'm, a, I'm not a good good person or not as good as i can be right and so creativity and writing helps me be a good person so i think putting something in this larger sphere of life because whether whether you're making a, a new app or writing a novel, you know it's the bigger story that really matters, and that's what you've got to like think about. How, how are you how are you being of service to others? How are you being of service to yourself so you can be of service to others? So 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 yeah. So the so kind of the, the what's the bigger why and the bigger plan? Exactly. Um, kind of like trusting the process and like okay, I'm on this path. 
Yeah. Like if this never gets successful, I'm happy that I was on the path. Exactly. I mean, that's a very, I don't know, Buddhist kind of philosophy. And, and a lot of startups, people that write apps and stuff, they they can get bent about like, oh, I want to be the next filling yeah. your favorite unicorn. Exactly. Um, and you can, I think when you do that, you also run the danger of like becoming envious of other people's success. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> felt that. waking up. Yeah, we've all felt it. And, and, or angry, yeah. um, or, or self disparaging or beat yourself up. All those things like take out or, or diminish your creativity. So, so all those things where those moments when you're comparing yourself to others is usually not good for yourself. Sometimes it can be motivation, but I think most of the time it saps your, your creative energy. And so I think keeping that vision on the higher purpose and it gets you through too. Like you got to know that like life is long, Yeah, you know, so it is. you might not hit gold in your thirties at whatever hit, hitting gold means to you. Right. Might not in your forties either, but if you keep doing it, you know, eventually. you're, you're, <laughs> you're at least eventually maybe going to have it happen. Yeah. Know? I mean, cause we, we were talking before about mm-hmm. the probability of like a bestseller, mm-hmm. which is similar to the probability of a successful startup. I mean, it's actually worse for a bestseller because it's probably, I don't know, 0.1% if that, because mm-hmm. there's a lot more books, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, startups are the same thing. You know, 1% of all startups are unicorns, unicorn being a billion dollar valuation. But, yeah. okay, well, what about the other 99%? Yeah. That's what most of us are working on. And you know what? Some of them are going to fail. Some of them yeah. aren't going to work out. And, you know, it's not because you're not smart enough. It's not because you're not good enough. It's just because you either not at the right place at the right time or you zigged when you should have zagged and yeah i mean i have this challenge all the time you know because it's tough right like because you especially you live in silicon valley which is where we are i mean everyone's crushing it and i don't know if everyone's really crushing it (laughs) it seems that way it seems that way but the people i talk to you know when you're at a cocktail party or kind of like put aside or or, Mm -hmm. are worried and Mm -hmm. don't know what what tomorrow's going to bring or they can't make payroll or or they're like worried they're not going to get investment and they're just you know there's these anxieties and and Mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do with talking about this is like get the get the internal feelings and the mindset and these kind of little daily things that can Mm -hmm. really like help push Mm -hmm. push you forward because i mean you know every day should be a gift you should like really be happy that man, I have another day. Yeah. And that other day, this day I have, what am I going to do with it? And that's why I think focusing on, okay, what am I going to do today? Yeah. What are the things that make my my day better and the the day of the world better? I mean, you know, it's a little woo-woo and kind of big um, thing, but, you know, you get a little older and you start thinking about it. A little woo-woo. A little woo-woo. Like. <laughs> you start to feel the little woo-woo. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, and you're, you are, in the end, I think, what makes it meaningful. It's that being of service to others. And as a yeah. leader and a manager, it's like walking into the doors. And instead of, like, dwelling on what went wrong yesterday or what you want to have happen and how people have maybe been falling short, um, think about ways, you know, you can motivate them and yeah. be kind to them. And what actually motivates people, I hear, I hear all these stories about bosses being assholes <laughs> yeah you know and uh, well, I'm like, I'm most like, people most people they quit their boss right they don't quit the company i mean every data point shows i mean it's some it's some it's like 70 percent it's some ridiculous number yeah and who who wants to who's motivated i mean you can be motivated for an asshole 
in a very short term, you know. Yeah. But you're going to burn out. You're going to want to move on. You're not going to like your job. Yeah. Your morale is going to go down, all those things. So I think just thinking, how are you going to support, walking through the door, and how are you going to support those people in the office, you know? Yeah. How are you going to make it a better day? Because that's going to make it a better product, and it's going to serve your, you know, consumers or community better. Um, so basically start every day anew. Like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like we got this day. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's use it. I think that's the definition of resilience, right? Yeah, that's true too. I mean, a lot because a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of zigs and zags in creativity and companies mm-hmm. and anything, any life, relationships and mm-hmm. kids and life challenges, you know. And maybe, yeah, maybe like that's a good one. Maybe every day, just every day is a fresh day, mm-hmm. and then come at it with how can I be of service? Yeah. And we're all going to have those bad days, those bad moments. We can't be perfect, uh, but we can keep trying. And I think people generally reward you for that. You know, I, I think, think so. I think your staff generally will 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 feel that. Um, and uh, yeah, just think about what motivates you. <laughs> what do you want yeah. from a workplace or a boss? Um, <laughs> you know, I be, mean, I'd, be your best boss. <laughs> yeah, be your best boss. Yeah, yeah. So uh, wow, I I think that's one one thing that's really interesting. Uh, or interests me ongoing about like workplaces and businesses is, is how all these human elements, you know, mm-hmm. because because our workplaces have changed so much. Uh, they've you know the, the the lines are very blurry between our personal lives and our home lives. Oh, and, yeah. our, and our workplaces. Oh and, yeah. And so you know if they're going to be that blurry or or absorb each other, you know, like how can we make them more supportive of each other too at the same time? You know, um, how can we make a workplace kinder? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that must be. I, is that easier? You think at a nonprofit as opposed to a, you know, a tech company or a big company where clearly like there's more incentives, money, monetarily. Yeah. You know, there's all the perks. I mean, I don't know what kind of perks you guys have at NanoRimo. We, we have. We do have to think about perks that are non-monetary perks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think we do have to think a lot about what makes this environment a good place to be. Yeah. You know, and you can't. We can't buy it. We can't go do a fancy staff retreat or yeah. a fancy dinner. You know, so it so it becomes about thinking about what can we do together to do genuinely bond. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't know if it's easier. Um, I mean, maybe maybe like not having the money makes it better. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it's I think if you ask my staff, they might say, "Oh, it'd be nice to have some money sometime," or "It'd be nice to have that nice dinner out." You know, all that yeah. stuff is also good. Um, but you know, I think I think you know it's interesting to me because I I don't know. I I, I go to for profit workplaces and I'm very impressed. I think people are, can be very happy there on. Without you know, just because of the money, yeah, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I think the the best workplaces is not about the money, right? right. It's like they're there for another reason. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any answers. I think I think the bar gets. I, I know the bar is high for nonprofits. You know, in terms of like, the, the, well, the wor- the worst thing about nonprofits, I think, is a lot of nonprofits because they don't have a lot of money. A lot of people there's a smarter complex, and so a, complex. a lot of people will do a lot of kind of um, work kind of saintly work for little money but it's like a, it's a real burnout you know and that's not necessarily good to martyr no. yourself for the cause and so um so i think like a lot of nonprofits, they have to you know it's it's better when you don't have the martyr complex when you're compensated um and if you're not if you're not compensated a lot with money then that you do have this like work environment that's maybe more supportive i don't know um 
Yeah, I can't. I can't really compare the. I, sometimes I don't even like the comparisons be, between for profit and non profit. No, I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair because I mean, it is different. Um, I mean, even the comparisons between like government, mm-hmm. private sector, and the non profit sector. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about, uh, and a lot of people try to make these comparisons. Oh, why can't we run government more like a company? Right. Well, eh, that's probably never going to work. But yeah. it's also, you know, why can't we run a non profit more like a company? And I think there's a better correlation to that but i do also think that they're unique and distinct things that you have to be as a as a leader and as someone that's going to run these things like you have to be very conscious of this Mm -hmm. and it it is i and i've been at nonprofits and been involved with nonprofits where the martyr complex is just so high yeah i mean you're like really like people are i mean they're for the cause but then the thing that I also see is that the management of those nonprofits, they get sucked into that too, and so they're not developing their people. Or set, they set the tone sometimes. They set the tone. Mm-hmm. They're not good managers. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, you know, we, we're not going to pay you what you're worth because you're for the cause. Right. When they could or they've got exactly. some big salary or they're, you know, in this their own little world. And, and, and I think that's really toxic because, you know. Exactly. You, as a leader, I mean, you're nothing if you don't have your people. Right. Like, you're just this, you know, someone on some soapbox saying stuff. I mean, you even have no control over what they do. You have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> you can only say, can you please do this? And you have to tell better stories, and that's why yeah. stories are important. But This is the challenge. <laughs> you, you do not truly know what they're doing. No, you have no control. And the sooner you realize you have no control, yeah. the, one, the happier you are, and the two, the perspective that you get is like, my whole job is to motivate them with a bigger vision and a bigger story. Yeah. And every day I have to figure out how I'm going to show up right. and be that better person. Because I'm, yeah. the, you know, you're the one that's got to. I mean, you have to persuade and convince someone to do something, and then you walk away. You don't know what they're doing. I mean, you can yeah. see their output and you do a design sprint right. and you see their code, but you don't know if it takes them five minutes or five hours. You don't, and you don't know, like, what they say on their Slack, cha- Slack channels yeah. or their G-chats. You don't yeah. know how, how something you do can, can ripple through the whole office place. And um, It is, yes. You know, I, I, no, I totally Words agree Words matter you. when it comes to the leader. What the leader says, it's amazing how much impact that has. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I think um, it's, it's an art, and I think it's like an on, you, you, you never learn it. You're always learning, yeah. you know, how to do it and because you, you're dealing with different people in different situations. But it's also an art of, of your own self-management, you know. Like, yeah. uh, like when I read interviews with leaders and give, they give, give their best tips, I think almost always I hear them say, hire smart people and let them do their thing. Yep. You know, because yep. if you hire smart, driven people, it's really true. They're going to do their thing. That's just who they are. Yeah. No one, if you hire smart, driven people, they don't want to just come in and sit there. Oh. You know, so, and I mean, and they, generally, you know, that's, that's, but generally, everyone wants to contribute. Yeah. No matter who you are. Right, exactly. They just sometimes they need to know what to do. And, and yeah. yeah, but you're right. The smart, driven ones, yeah, they're easy. Yeah, they're easy. Sense. But you're right. I, I agree with you. I shouldn't have said just smart, driven people because I think all people are creatives. All people, all people have a creative drive. All people want to contribute. And so, it, but, it, but it is about like um, giving them permission, freedom, empowerment. But like you said too, like setting some parameters and goals. Yeah, I mean, know? yeah, guardrails. Yeah, I mean, guard the guardrails are, I think, there's the only thing that a leader can do in an organization is set the guardrails. Yeah. And then also, what's the standard? What's yeah. acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah. And if you let things slide and you do something that is you don't feel is right and you let it slide, that's the new standard. Yeah. And 
it will you will gravitate towards the new standard. Yeah, you are the the bearer of the standard. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's yeah, it's a hard job. I think yeah, <laughs> it's it's a hard job. You have to be the bearer of the standard, and you have to. The, the other part of this advice was just like um, I think a lot of leaders think they have to always be the smartest person in the room. Oh yeah, and, and that I think can really um, work against you because well, one, you're not always the smartest person in the oh, room. Oh no, and no. and and your staff really doesn't necessarily want to see you that way. And you can be, you can not be the smartest person in the room and like support the ideas coming out of it. Yeah. And and no one's going to walk out of that meeting saying, oh, we, you know, the leader should have been the smartest person there. You know. No, I mean, I think you, the, yeah, you you have to be the one that synthesizes the most information in, mm-hmm. right. as the leader, as well as you need to figure out what's a good idea and what's a bad idea, and then you need to be humble enough to be like, I don't know all the answers, but I'll find out. Exactly. And people. If you bullshit that, yeah, I mean, you see this so many times because it's an ego thing. I mean, when you're the boss, you're it's like, totally I'm the boss. Thing. Someone, someone anointed me the boss, right. right? And you know, you're the boss for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're the boss because you got hired yesterday yeah, as the boss. I yeah, I mean, yeah. you never know when you may not be the boss. Yeah, and and you know. Young, young. When I was a younger engineer, I had problems with that. I Definitely. still do a little bit, but I now realize really getting comfortable in that in your own skin, and really like how do you? And I really love the, what am I going to do today to make my staff successful? Mm-hmm. What is it? What do I have to do? Because that's my job. Yeah, your job's to make them successful. Suck it up, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Whatever, whatever feelings of hurt or whatever it is that might be bothering you like you got to suck it up and get above it and think about how to support those people and that's a hard thing to do it's super hard (laughs) because we're all human and messy we're all human (laughs) messy needy we all want we all want to be loved 100 and and that whole thing about it's lonely at the top is absolutely true and you cannot even know how true that is until you actually do it you can't know it and um so yeah it's 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 interesting and then what you were saying it is like a battle of ego and you kind of have to go through those missteps you do to kind of understand like you know like not being the smartest person in the room like that takes time to learn you know and giving power over to others you know that takes like it's 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 hard to do sometimes like especially those of us who didn't necessarily grow up in that era or that kind of workplace standard you know so. I mean, I think I think over time it'll get it'll you know it'll find its way because yeah. I mean things go through cycles. Yeah. And, and but I do I do like the fact that you know the generation coming up and just corporate in general and even nonprofits. I mean, they're trying to find this collaborative where everyone can contribute and feel like they're contributing because that's the one thing that the hierarchies and the old school mentality was is that you never really knew you were contributing. You just like got your work product and then your boss you know signed his name on it and yeah. you saw him accelerate and you didn't necessarily accelerate or get promoted or you did but it was never like a team you know because i'm always right. i always think that, you know like recognition should always be team team based I, yeah i don't i think bonuses are a waste of time i don't think yeah, they I think work too, i think it's got to be the team succeeds yeah. because without the team you're nothing right yeah you're nothing. yeah uh, I agree. I think uh, things are sorting themselves out into a new kind of work yeah. ecosystem, uh, which is a very fascinating thing to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I'm generally optimistic about it. I think it has, uh, you know, it's 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 about being inclusive and and getting like 
you know, the best ideas from your lowest-ranking employees. But it's also about being inclusive on the levels of, like, gender and race, too. Oh, like yeah. I mean, things, yeah. You know? So we're dealing with all this societally, but it's, yeah, like, it I mean, takes it, place it's a, in the workplace. It's a very interesting time because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people are really challenging a lot of what has traditionally been a very um, rigid society for mm-hmm. who people are. And, you know, you may disagree or disagree with, you know, whatever pronoun you are and, you know, all the noise around that. But really what I think is important is that, you know, people are people and they express themselves in ways that are unique and authentic to them. And you as a as another person not only need to respect that, they also need to respect who you are. And in the end, we're all just trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's a complex thing. Yeah. And I think we just got to be kinder to each other when it comes to that. Because, again, I, don't, I know no one I've ever met on any side of the aisle in any kind of configuration that deep down in their heart is just like, I just want to... I want to contribute. I want to have you know a family or whatever, whatever you want to do, and I just want to feel like I'm worth something. Right. And I think we're seeing that. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful thing, and we just have to make sure we continue to push that forward. So. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. Cool. Well, this has been great. I yeah, really this appreciate. Great. I love talking uh, about this. Yeah. It's, it all so relates much. to novel writing too. Yeah. Everyone has a story. <laughs> Everyone's story matters. Write your story yeah. and also help other people tell yeah, their stories, whether it's in the workplace or the world. Exactly. Go yeah. to go to org. Yeah. And if you have an, uh, you all have a, a novel in you. You may not ha- know about that yet, but uh, it's a great organization. Thank you. I personally support it. I personally love love the the month of November to see all the the novels and. Um, yeah, just really appreciate your time. And again, we're at the San Francisco Writers Conference. Yeah, people so are pouring people into are the room. pouring in to hear. <laughs> it's a, still a completely <laughs> vacant room with yeah. all these chairs staring at us. But yeah. uh, appreciate your time, Grant. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.